Hey, welcome to The Weekend Bite, presented by The Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder, and what a week for new fresh data, CPI, PPI, and bank earnings. Here with a deeper look is Seeking Alpha's Kim Khan. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, it's been a really busy week, and uh, looking at the inflation numbers, um, things started out pretty well, even though the headline CPI came in hotter than expected, um, a monthly 0.3% rise. Um, in the core, inflation was something that people thought the Fed could work with. That was encouraging. Rates fell. Many had PPI, which came in uh, hotter than expected on both headline and core. That was a little more troublesome. And uh, rates started to creep up again. And now today, you've got just a big move in a thinly traded bond market with the bond market uh, closing early today. Um, rates are shooting back up and we've got the 10-year up around 2.8% again. So a bit of a round trip there. Um, also, I've heard a lot from the big banks, um, generally um, well-received, especially today's uh, Goldman and Morgan Stanley, a um, bit of conservative JP Morgan, but overall for these banks, you're seeing um, you know, good numbers on equities trading, good numbers on you know, bond trading, a uh, bit of concern on the investment banking revenue level, but also Wells Fargo's uh, miss was a bit of a concern for banks more leverage to the consumer, so that's gonna be something people are watching. Yeah, sounds like we're uh, getting ready for a volatile earnings season. Going from JP Morgan to Goldman Sachs, so it all just depends on the sectors and, and what area of, uh, you know, you're touching with in consumer and business right now, right, Kim? Yeah, you're going to have a lot of a lot of numbers flying at you, but I think if people are just going to be watching, um, you know, still with, um, you know, retail earnings, a lot of the, you know, pricing pressures, Bed Bath & Beyond was a kind of one that still was, uh, you know, controlled by supply chain issues, so that hasn't gone away. Yeah, and I know I was watching one this morning, uh, Taiwan Semi. I always like to watch them just, you know, overall semiconductors and how much it influences in technology and everything else in the market. So, and they beat by a billion dollars. I mean, the revenue, the EPS, top line, bottom line, I mean, it's going to be a volatile ride. But all right, Kim, we'll see you here and again in a little bit for next week's Catalyst Watch. Thanks for that update. All right. So let's dive in with our first guest on today's show, Michelle Kluver, VP Portfolio Strategist at Global X. Michelle, thanks for being here. I want to start by getting your take on a big topic of discussion in the markets in recent months. Are ETFs now uninvestable since it seems like the majority of the street is claiming it's a stock picker's market and ETFs are designed to hold a bundle of various stocks? So I'm just curious, what's your take? So, well, thank you, Diana. Diana. Daniel for having me on the show and starting with, yes, there's been a lot of talk about it being a stock pickers market, but at the same time, even though ETFs provide broad beta exposure, you can choose where that beta is focusing. And so ETFs are a great way to position portfolios in areas that you have interest in and use that to get very targeted exposures. So one example that's really good at the moment is cybersecurity. That's an area where stock picking is a lot more difficult because, say, for instance, there is a cyber event and a cybersecurity company happens to be caught up in it. It would be better to be in a basket of securities rather than just a single company. And so there's a plenty of situations where having a basket of securities is far better than an individual, even when the market is saying it's still a stock picker's market. And so what kind of ETFs are you in favor with right now in these market conditions? You, you obviously mentioned cybersecurity. Could you give us some insight into what you might uh, be able to share with our audience? Sure. So at the moment, um, 
in terms of our macroeconomic view, we have a large focus on protecting against inflation while trying to balance this with concerns about economic growth, as well as a greater focus on equality. And so while thinking about concerns about economic growth may be slowing, we're also trying to balance between value and cyclical areas with more growth focused areas that are targeted within the current environment. So we're definitely trying to provide good balance within our portfolios and greater diversification to try and ensure that you're targeting the key areas and mitigating as many risks as possible. Yeah, so I got some notes actually over here. Um, you have some ETF picks that you like within the uh, energy sector, the covered calls, and cyber. Would you mind walking us through those? Sure. So those areas all talk to the three key areas that I was referring to of focusing in on inflation and protecting against inflation um, pressures. So that's actually with the MLP side. So one of the areas where we've seen a huge amount of inflation pressure um, is energy. Obviously, we've seen energy and food, but just focusing on the energy side, um, when energy prices are rising, there are only a few ways to actually benefit in the market. And one of them is energy exposure. And MLPs is a way of getting indirect energy price exposure because they benefit from higher production. Um, in the current environment, um, you're seeing a lot more interest in energy transition in Europe. And MLPs is a way that you can actually play that with Europe is looking to transition two thirds of their natural gas away from Russia this year, while looking to exit gas flows from Russia by 2030. And so the US is set up, be starting to be set up more in order to assist with that transition. And um, natural gas pipelines is a way that you can actually benefit from that. And MLPs is a way that can have exposure to that space. Yeah, so the MLP, uh, what is it, the MLPA that I believe that you guys have as the ETF? Um, yes, that's obviously. So there's actually two MLP products at Global X. MLPA is the one that provides pure play exposure to the space. And then we also have MLPX, which also includes some of the exploration side as well. And so if I was an investor and I was looking at favoring one of those over the other, which kind of basket should I fall into, say, if I'm, you know, looking at the inflation trade like you've been talking about, which one would you recommend for our audience? Um, so we're currently focused on the MLPA one within our equity income portfolio. It provides a higher yield and it's more pure play on that midstream pipeline area. Yeah, and I want to go back to this bug, uh, the, the bug, BUG ETF as well. You keep referencing cybersecurity, and, and over the last few weeks, we've also had many, many investors and people come on the show talking about how they're favoring the cyber stocks right now. Um, specifically, you know, Ukraine and Russia and everything that's going on in the news, and we're seeing, you know, the cyber attacks. And so how long are we looking at a runway in regards to favoring cyber if, if you had to put out a guess? Um, so I would say over the next three to six months, there's going to be increased focus on the regulatory side and getting ahead of the regulation involving cybersecurity, of transitioning cybersecurity investments from a choice to actually a necessity and a mandated and basically a cost of doing business that it's expected that companies include good cybersecurity. And this, the protocols will be put in place over the next probably six months um, based on initial propositions. 
Um, that's within the US. And then there's also increased interest within Europe to also start mandating cybersecurity. Yeah, that's really great insight. And I really appreciate your time and your insight, Michelle. Um, you know, we'll definitely take a look into these ETFs. We'll, of course, put them up on the screen for our investors and check them out as well. And uh, I think let's go ahead and wrap it up there. You have a great weekend, okay? Thank you. You too. Now, our next guest is a longtime contributor of Seeking Alpha. He is the CEO of New Constructs and his service value investing 2.0 can be found on Seeking Alpha Marketplace. I should mention as well, he also offers a free trial for anyone who would like a deeper dive into his research, and that is David Trainer. everyone. David, before we dive into the big developing story of the week in regards to social media, which I know you have a ton of thoughts on, I'd like to start by just getting your view on this. Is this a risk on or risk off market right now? I think the Fed's trying to make it a little bit of both, right? Because if we're too much on the risk on camp, then, you know, we've kind of got things out of control uh, on the upward slope. If we're on the risk off camp, same thing on the downward slope. I think the Fed is trying to walk this sort of super tight line <clears throat> of a slow, steady grind downward. Uh, so I think that means we'll have periods of really choppy volatility. But in the end, Think about this sort of like as a slow, uh, gradual choke out of the excesses in the market, as opposed to trying to rid them all at once and have all the you know unintended consequences of a major market crash and, and the behavioral, the negative behavioral impacts of that. Yeah, but every, so everyone's talking about, you know, uh, rapidly raising rates. We have another Fed meeting coming up in May. Um, you know, the amount of rates have substantially gone up of what's expected by the end of the year from what we had in January. And there's already the forecast of lowering, lowering rates past that. Um, is this kind of a, a raise rates rapidly type of market just so that they can ease when a recess, recession hits? You know, it, it's funny. Everything is so forward looking these days, right? I mean, I remember when my grandfather was telling me about what he did for a living. You know, he was reading the Wall Street Journal in the morning to find out what the closing prices were the day before. And now we're looking all the way through the Fed tightening cycle to when they might loosen again. Uh, and so I think the Fed is playing very much a psychological game here. Uh, and it's a game of chicken with inflation, market expectations. And really an investing populace that's become accustomed to really super low risk, easy returns, fast money. And, uh, you know, that's not something people want to give up very easily. So I think the Fed's trying to kind of gradually wean people off this expectation that anyone can make money. It's easy to make money uh, because it ends up meaning that a lot of capital flows into unproductive places. And that's long. That's bad for growth long term. And it's bad for inflation in the near term and long term. So the Fed's kind of got to give people the and give the market its medicine without anybody really realizing they're taking the medicine. So what it sounds like to me a little bit is that you're saying, you know, the Fed is telling everybody the party's over, right? Party's over, our, our balance sheet is out of control. We have to get this back to the, the average mean if you want to think about it that way. Um, and this kind of goes into a great point that I wanted to go into next because I have notes here uh, from you in, in regards to Tesla. And you're saying that the party's over in Tesla stock as well. You, you go on to say Tesla sold about 1 million cars in 2021 and is nowhere near producing enough cars to justify its current stock price. We advise investors to sell the rally in Tesla shares as the stock faces no fundamental upside catalyst. And this is one of the, the most heavily weighted stocks in, in the S&P 500. 
So if you're telling people that party's over, sell Tesla, are, are you also saying sell the entire market? What's the view there? No, I'm not. And, and I don't think the Fed is, is, is in anywhere close to admitting they're going to have to rapidly raise rates or they're going to finally unwind their balance sheet. Look, the Fed has actually been double talking the market, right? They, when they raised rates, they kept building or growing its, their balance sheet for several weeks. I don't think they've actually stopped buying bonds on this balance sheet. So the Fed is double talking. On the one hand, they're tightening. On the one hand, they're still loosening. So again, I think the Fed is trying to walk a very, very fine line. Now, with respect to Tesla, uh, look, we've been negative on the fundamental perspective on Tesla for a long, long time. But let's face it, fundamentals haven't really mattered for most of the last 20 years. Uh, you know, they mattered quite a bit in the last 12 months or so. You saw a lot of really overpriced stocks, which we predicted um, falling out of bed. Tesla fell out of bed a lot toward the end of last year, but it made a rebound the beginning of this year. And I think sort of people feel like at least risk is back on for Tesla. Uh, but I think this recent Twitter debacle, uh, is, is marks a major change. Uh, first, I think it's the it's one of the first times that that Musk, by via or via his his force of personality, wasn't able to get exactly what he wants, and so he's turning to bullying tactics, right, in terms of a, a hostile takeover. Uh, but I think more importantly, what people are missing here is that a lot of Tesla's success in the last couple of years is because institutions had to buy in, and by had to, I mean they didn't want to because there's no investor, sophisticated investor, right? And I have a specific definition of investor, that means not speculator, but there's no sophisticated investor in the world that really believes in the underlying fundamentals of Tesla or any of the related businesses as they relate to the stock price. The stock is overvalued by any measure, right? They're buying because they have to, because if they don't own it, their performance suffers. If performance suffers, they lose assets. They lose assets, they lose money, right? And so they're buying it as part of the YOLO, the MOMO, right? So what's their decision to sell driven by? It's when Tesla's influence on the market and Musk's influence on Tesla starts to wane. And it wanes when his rock star influencer status starts to wane, right? We know stars can be built. We know they can be broken down very quickly. It's sort of an American thing. When we find a flaw, we often trash our heroes. Well, I think this is Musk's sort of hero trash moment. What he's doing with Twitter is clearly a big distraction from anything he needs to do to run the operations of his other businesses. Suggesting they drop the W, suggesting they replace the San Francisco offices with homeless people. Musk is not a serious manager. And the fact that he's willing to dedicate so much of his own wealth and time to going after Twitter is a signal to institutional investors that he's finally lost it. And they need to go ahead and start unwinding their positions before the bottom falls out. The other thing is that as the bottom falls out, the regulators are going to take their knives out. Why? Because up to this point, they didn't want to be stuck with shareholder lawsuits if they get blamed for the stock price going down. Because Musk can claim, hey, look, the market has got a vote of confidence in terms of my valuation that I'm going to do all these things I promised. Who are you to say I can't, Mr. SEC? Who are you to say that all these investors valuing my stock as if we're going to do these amazing things are wrong. It's your fault that I can't do it now because you caused my stock price to go down and I can't do it because I need this extraordinary wealth from this inflated valuation to build rocket ships and a, and, and a civilization on Mars and everything else that he said, right? So once this thing starts to unwind, institutions know that it's going to fall really, really rapidly. And I think that they've gotten the signal they need to know that Musk's superstar influencer status 
his superstar status in general is no longer going to be enough because the class action lawsuits related to his misrepresentation of how he got into Twitter and his and the Twitter snub, I think are, are enough to let everyone know that Musk is starting to really lose his marbles and it's time, it's time to get out. Is it, is it him losing his marbles or is it him in a form of marketing as well, right? Like this guy has been a brilliant mind in innovation and of course he seems to always latch on to um, whatever the mainstream meme is, whether it's Dogecoin, whether it's, hey, we're going to space, watch me make it happen. And, and he's been through the failures and success and he has so much wealth now that this Twitter, you know, undisclosed or this uh, disclosure that they put out this week of his offer to buy the company for $10 billion over its enterprise value, first off. Um, and he's just got that kind of money to throw around. At what point does something like what's that catalyst that happens that then makes his entire empire disappear? Or does that not happen? I mean, look, what, what has he really invented? Did he invent Tesla? Did he even really found Tesla? No, he didn't. Right. Um, yeah, he's got a cheaper form of rocket ship. Um, but what what's really else been accomplished there that maybe NASA wouldn't have accomplished, albeit with a lot more expense? He's done a little cheaper. Uh, you know, so I, I, I question that he's really the genius that so many people want to believe that he is. I'm not saying Tesla's a bad company. I'm not saying they don't do good things. They do. Uh, but I don't know that Musk is sort of the operator and leader that people think. Uh, and, and I don't I don't I mean, look. Okay, so let's go with what you're saying, Dan. It's a $43 billion marketing play. How does that benefit anybody, right? Why, why, why is it a good thing that Musk is gonna go out and overpay, destroy his own capital? Um, you know, because uh, you know, I think as soon as people can cash in at that higher price, they're gonna probably sell it, or they may sell it before then anyway. Because up to this point, Musk's suggestions for what needs to happen at Twitter have either, either been completely ludicrous or completely hypocritical. How can this guy claim to be a champion of free speech when he calls people trying to save people in Latin America pedophiles, right? When he claims to be a founder of a company when he's not, when he, when he insults people and sends nasty tweets to them all the time if they disagree, right? Or claims that things are gonna happen like he's gonna go private at 420 bucks, making weed jokes all the time. I mean, uh, it's, it's potty humor. Right? Is is that you know who who wants that kind of person running their company? Certainly, Tim Cook didn't want to work with him on electric vehicles when he when the news broke, uh, as we heard in the news broke that at the end of last year. So I don't really think anybody who's a professional manager, uh, allocator of capital at a company or at a fund company or at a hedge fund takes Musk seriously as an operator. I just don't believe that. Now they take his influencer status seriously. They think the fact that he can convince a lot of unsuspecting and less sophisticated investors that he's doing great things. But that's only as good as long as the hype lasts. And typically when a hype balloon pops, it shrinks down real fast. All very good points. Now I wanna focus in specifically on Tesla real quick because I've had a lot of conversations with Seeking Alpha audience members from all over the world. And for instance, one that pops in my head is South Korea. Um, we have a lot of our audience that is in South Korea that has told us they have invested in Tesla. So if you could tell them something right now, and, and, and obviously you're saying get out of Tesla stock, what would you tell them right now to, to have it maybe help click in their heads that, oh, the party's over, I need to sell here instead of hold on and hope for, hope for you know, profits to come wherever those might come from? I mean, I would just start with every promise that, that Musk has made, whether it's FSD or battery powers, 
uh, battery power or insurance. These are all business plans and models that were supposed to somehow generate cash flow for the company. They have not. And then I would point out that the valuation at its current levels implies that Tesla will own over 100% of the electric vehicle market. They'll produce more cars than the entire electric vehicle market is expected to be by 2030, right? So they're gonna have more than 100% market share. Um, and in the current environment, they're losing market share. I, you know, I don't know if you saw the uh, Mercedes commercials during the Masters last weekend. I mean, look, Mercedes has got a really nice EV. Uh, Volkswagen's got a really nice low priced ev um yeah i mean look making cars is not something that musk has proven making cars at scale it's not something musk has been sh shown that he's that good at these other firms can dominate at scale they're spending they're outspending musk 10 to 1 to get into electric vehicles they got better distribution they got better service modeling they've got better quality control um and look the numbers are what they are market share is going down so if you want to own a stock that implies someone's going to have 100% of the market, which has never happened in the history of the world for anything but a brief amount of time, then yeah, keep holding it. But no, all the good news is priced in and there's a ton of downside risk in the valuation at its current level. All right, David. So we're talking about sell Tesla. Why don't you go ahead and share with us and our audience one stock that you would buy in this current market environment? How about Domino's Pizza? Everybody loves pizza. Uh, and, you know, we love this stock because, you know, opposite of Tesla, it trades at a valuation that implies its profits will permanently decline by over 10%, right? So that's low risk, right? The idea as an investor, buy low expectations, sell high expectations, also known as expectations investing. Great book written by Michael Mobison on this whole topic. It's all about understanding what the expectations for future cash flows baked into stock prices are. And you want to buy stocks where the market is underestimating cash flows and sell stocks where the market is overestimating. Domino's Pizza is a great one. Most people don't know that the return on invested capital for Domino's over the last five years is top five in the entire S&P 500. One of the most profitable companies in the world. And it's also an asset light business model, right? They don't own most of those stores. They're a franchisor, right? So they, 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 they sell them off to other folks. And so they specialize in supply chain management, which they're brilliant at, and marketing. And therefore their margins are really high. They can afford to handle a lot of this inflation. And then they, they got better logistics than the other pizza companies. Uh, and they're gonna be a low cost provider in a world where food inflation is going through the roof. So um, we think Domino's presents great risk reward, uh, especially compared to some of these overpriced stocks like a Tesla. Yeah, not to mention that one's favored by, uh, that's in the Bill Ackman portfolio as well, I believe. Um, all right, David, thank you so much for your insight. Let's go ahead and leave it there. Uh, and you have a great weekend, okay? Thank you, Dan. Enjoy being with you. All right, we'll talk again soon. All right, and just a reminder for everyone, that is uh, David Trainer, CEO of New Constructs. He is also on Seeking Alpha Marketplace. He has a free trial. You might as well go check it out. His, his research is crazy in depth. Um, couldn't recommend it more. Now, let's go ahead and get back over to Kim Khan for this week's Catalyst Watch. Well, if you looked at and saw last week's Catalyst Watch, you had Elon Musk on your radar for today. That was because of his TED Talk appearance, but of course, you never know that something might happen, and it did. And I'm going to say that for Catalyst Watch next week, you're going to have to keep Elon on your radar as well, this time for Wednesday. 
when Tesla um, reports its earnings. And why is it reporting on Wednesday? Because it's April 20th and that's 420. Another one of the weed jokes that David Trainer was referring to. So um, I don't know if they're actually going to release after the bell at 4.20 p.m. Eastern, but I actually wouldn't put it past Elon Musk at this point. And uh, certainly you're going to get a lot of um, interesting questions on the uh, conference call, along with a lot of other earnings coming in, of course. We've got big names like Bank of America, J&J. Um, Netflix should be very interesting um, given the heating up of the streaming wars and um, a post-split AT&T earnings report. Um, on the economic front, we've got a lot of numbers on housing, including starts of permits and existing home sales. That's getting a lot more attention these days um, because of the you know tight housing market, the high prices, and people anecdotally saying, you know, I you know people are only taking offers all in cash, and then you know you know houses are getting like twelve bids on the last day. So that should be very interesting as well. Real estate is hot, 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 as we know. Even with the mortgage uh, 30-year fix, over 5% now. I mean, this is it's a wild Yeah, but it hasn't dented. I mean, there's just not enough supply of homes, which kind of makes it a lot different from when we had the uh, housing crisis in 08. Exactly. All right, Ken, thank you so much for the Catalyst Watch, and we'll see you here again next week, all right? Thanks. All right, everyone. It's time for me to go rest my voice. It's been a long week. And that wraps it up for this week. Stay safe out there and have a great weekend.